0: Mike One Mike One, isn't this a lot of fun? Did you America? Welcome to another edition of Did You America? He's Jeremy. I'm Ian Camfield. Welcome to season two, episode. There's no way I can count this high at this point. DidYouAmerica.com is where you can go to for old episodes if you would like to count and or communicate with the podcast. You can also reach out on social media. I'm Ian Camfield on Twitter camfield off the radio on instagram now if you've listened to uh, any of our episodes so far you will know that we are nothing on this podcast if not woke yes so let's get straight to the number one item on today's agenda it's jeremy's new woke calls yeah i uh Let's do a jingle for it. I feel like we should set it up better. Let's get to today's number one item on the agenda. It's Jeremy's new woke calls. ba ba da bum ba bum bum I know that sounded like someone was about to win something on Supermarket Sweep. Great. But if people pick up on this, on this wokeness, then the people that we are campaigning on behalf of, they will win. You might say it's slightly selfish because I believe Jeremy's about to campaign on behalf of himself, but you can judge after this segment. I'm running down the aisles i'm high-fiving everyone this is about to be a great segment so
1: i'm scrolling through the internet over the weekend i see this new jared leto movie is being promoted i think it's called house of gucci Mm -hmm. so you know they're showing pictures of lady gaga she looks as stunning as ever they're showing pictures of all the other uh, adam driver you know everyone dresses their characters and then the big surprise was they had jared leto as uh well, I guess Gucci himself I don't know who he's playing yeah, and he's
0: very much shape-shifted yeah he is you know fat and balding he's basically saying uh what's the uh, what's the folks name Batman Christopher Christopher, Christopher no- Nolan no Christopher Reeves forget Christopher no that's <laughs> Superman
1: oh uh, uh, yeah. uh, um oh like the actual American actor.
0: Psycho oh, Christian Bale Christian Bale Christopher close enough close enough the dementia's setting in <laughs> he's basically saying don't worry we'll take that better in the edit christian bale i can do better than you he's like oh i see your fat
1: dick cheney i'll step you up some
0: he's saying i see he's saying uh russell crowe i see your fat roger Ailes."
1: exactly well here's the thing you know you see in hollywood in recent years all this outcry you know if uh if there's a gay role and it goes to a straight actor, that community gets upset. If there's a Asian character and it's played by a white person, that community gets upset. And I'm a little bit ashamed of my community. And no, I'm not talking about the Jewish community. And no, I'm not talking about the stoner community. I'm talking about another one of my communities. And that's the fat balding men community right why Who, are we not upset about this who's standing up for them where's our representation in hollywood I, oh you say a lot of it well why want this one too
0: everyone is always making an issue out of jared leto on any red carpet about how amazing he looks and how he never seems to age and how he always stays in shape and oh my god how does someone remain that fit when they've got so many projects on the go and then suddenly he decides to get fat and ugly and basically jeremy you're saying he's taking a Roll away from you. Maybe,
1: maybe the reason why there's not this outcry is he's taken the role so seriously that this isn't makeup and prosthetics. Maybe Jared Leto is now just fat
0: and balding. Google gobble one of us. <laughs> but even even if, even if he did do the the Christian Bale shape-shifting because christian bale doesn't normally use prosthetics or at least not many he gets fat and then gets right. thin for whatever the, the the role happens to be even if jared leto did that you could still argue that it's discrimination right Yeah, yeah. no absolutely i think this role should have went to me
1: <laughs> sure i have no acting experience but you know what i am fat and balding right
0: i mean harry shearer is looking at the simpsons going oh i can't do the voice of a person of color anymore even though i'm great at doing loads of voices and you've used my voice for more characters than you've used anyone's voice in the simpsons but suddenly jared leto can become a fat bald bastard and everyone's fine with that what about the fat bald bastards you
1: know we can do so much more than having a hot wife on a sitcom there's so many more opportunities for us than just that we're not just the guy making Making you laugh on stage
0: we can also be
1: in the dramatic roles that are going to jared leto all
0: right and that concludes today's jeremy's woke call segment
1: we just cancelled jared leto
0: <laughs> well, say goodbye we, we shone some light on it we shone what, some. what's the light band on he's it? in 30 seconds 30 seconds cancel them too <laughs> Uh, Matt Damon saved himself from getting cancelled, uh, courtesy of his daughter. And Kid Rock is so pissed. <laughs> Kid Rock is looking at the Matt Damon story, which basically is, I, I do. You know what I love about this so much? You know, I've made the point in the past on the on this podcast that um, some people almost confess their sins from years ago, as in, yeah, look, it was. 2002, and I did a segment on how many emo songs do you have to listen to before it turns you gay? And that was fine in 2002, but I know in 2021 it's very wrong and I'm I'm highlighting the fact that I did it so that third parties don't highlight it on my behalf and then I get cancelled in 2021, right? We've seen a lot of that recently. Right. I feel like Matt Damon has sort of tried to do that, but maybe not got the timing right in so much as he didn't come out and say, I was throwing around the F word gay slur." in let's say 2002 he came out and said you know I was throwing around the F word gay slur like an hour before
1: this interview
0: (laughs) (laughs) until July 31st (laughs) but now when I had dinner with my daughter on August 1st I've learned that it's not appropriate to say the homo gay F word anymore. And the interviewer to Matt Damon, I I don't know if it was for the Huffington post. I saw it reported on the Huffington post. The interviewer for Matt Damon said, what you were using it up until July, 2002 is like, no, you F till like, till July, 2021. <laughs> you, you realize like he threw all
1: of Boston under the bus for this. He was like, ah, it's how we talked where I grew up, well, you know? And <laughs> in, in that moment, pigs just started flying in Boston because it is absolutely how they talk there. They still use that word all the time. Yeah,
0: I mean, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I mean, could you say that him using, like clearly people shouldn't be using the gay slur F word. But him using the gay slur F word in a Boston accent does the sound of the Boston accent somehow make it not quite as bad in the same way that you know how Americans think the C curse word is the worst curse word of all time. Right. But if you hear a Shakespearean actor who's very British like Sir Ben Kingsley say the C word which he does in certain movies. He almost makes it sound Shakespearean. So if you classy that's what i mean if you if you were to say the c word people americans especially because they're way more offended than brits go like oh my god cancel him <laughs> that's my american accent it's pretty good but if uh, ben kingsley rolls up and uh, just slips the c word into uh, a passage from hamlet you probably would go, Oh my god, he made it sound so sexy. Yeah, he gets an Oscar. I mean, well, kind of. I there now. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but is it the same thing?
1: Um, I mean, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just don't want to get cancelled. <laughs> Every you, week, we, we, we walk the line, and I'm always like, you know what? This is going to be the week that we get cancelled, and we have it. Just, I feel like it's right around the corner. we just
0: developed a new segment called Jeremy's New Woke Calls. Oh, true. You're well, fine on saying, behalf of fat, bald people. Well, then let me tell you about all the groups I hate, so. <laughs> but you know who is going, You see? Matt Damon was using it up until last month it was at least six weeks ago I used it at a live show
1: said Kid Rock <laughs> what's baby doing now is he also like I guess I can't hang out with Matt Damon anymore well, DaBaby, we were real tight before this
0: baby is so cancelled like I don't know you know how whenever we try and do an Olympics update you have to google where the American medal count is Right. you have to google the latest cancellation of DaBaby because the cancellations are coming in faster than america or china are getting medals at this point so lollapalooza dumped him over the weekend and um and i feel like that some other events I, I, this is what's happened i think probably pretty much anyone who's a festival unless they're really underground, anyone who's a mainstream festival is who had the baby on their schedule is probably likely to cancel him at the moment. But I think what's happening is people are playing catch up because anyone who's in the live music forum is so relieved that they can put on gigs and festivals again. They're just trying to book whatever, however, whenever, because they want to do live shows and those companies and those, those, those artists have got to start making money again. And then so this morning, I think it's the, the governor's ball in New York suddenly went, Fuck, we didn't take the baby off the poster. Like, they're so happy (laughs) that there's going to be a governor's ball this year. And some people have come out on social media and they're going, oh, oh, so the governor's ball waited until Lollapalooza cancelled the baby, until they cancelled the baby. But I think to give them the benefit of the doubt, anyone who's doing live music now is so excited about live music. They're just like, yeah, yeah, we've got an event, Delta variant, be damned. We're going to put the event on. And then they're like, shit, we've got the baby on the bill. Pull it, pull it.
1: They tried to rush so quickly that instead of. Racing the baby they actually just put duh in front of every band and so it's just like starring <laughs> at this show da Foo fighters
0: <laughs> so lollapalooza happened over the weekend uh da baby gets removed from the bill is it too soon for for me to again play devil's advocate in this podcast multiple devil's advocate i don't know i mean you know I've, I've always... I don't know. My next idea might... Brace yourself. I'm about to say something controversial. Here we go. This might be more controversial than suggesting that does the Bostonian accent make the gay F-word slur sound okay? I don't know, right? <laughs> like, I'm just saying, well, you were the one who said they throw it around in Boston more. I, mean, is it I didn't say thing? that. Matt Damon said that. Okay, Matt Damon I do said, look a lot like Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon said that. If he was fat and balding. Now, let me say this. Clearly, that rant that baby went on whatever festival event it was in Miami, is uh, wrong, and... uh, I think it was a gay pride parade. (laughs) It's just the only way he can kind of get back any That's the ultimate (laughs) apology.
1: He's like, all right. He still makes the same offensive comments,
0: but he did it in a welcome place. (laughs) He goes, um... It goes, when's Gay Pride Month? June. Is that enough time between now and next June for some forgiveness to have weighed in? And then I'll just do a Gay Pride tour. (laughs) The baby's Gay Pride tour for the month of June. The Gay gay Pride tour. And it's just him riding a rainbow unicorn. I I would go to that show. (laughs) So here's the thing, right? Again, devil's advocate. Clearly, the baby going on his crazy homophobic rant. Absolutely wrong. And like I said in the previous episode of the podcast, I, I the thing that I'm more surprised about is that the uh, baby doesn't realise that even if he genuinely believes in those things, you just don't say them out loud, especially you know, not not a, not at a festival event. Right. You know? That whole kind of like, and someone needs to tell him the point at which you put your camera lights your phone camera lights up in the air that's for a ballad, not to announce that you don't have AIDS <laughs> I mean I, people he thought, was just trying to change up the times pe- you know people thought that the vaccine passport was controversial and he wants to start getting I haven't got AIDS here's my passport for it I'm, I'm holding up my camera
1: and when I went to that concert this weekend you know of course because it's 2021 everyone in front of me was watching the concert through their phone and right. all I was thinking is like, I guess all these guys don't have HIV and or AIDS <laughs>
0: <laughs> so clearly he did something. Here's my devil's advocate thing. So it's wrong, 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 right? But does he deserve some degree of credit for even though he's harboring terrible homophobic views and everything he said is wrong and shouldn't be like said from the stage for actually kind of not apologizing because i see so many celebrities that get found out for posting something on twitter 15 years ago which kind of was a funny joke and it's like they wouldn't have made the joke now but back then it was okay and then they get found out and they do this whole apology tour and and some of them go like oh my god yeah i'm gonna go into therapy and i'm gonna start hanging out with loads of people like the group i apparently upset with my joke from two two 2003 even though back then it was kind of funny and blah blah and they don't mean any of it and i find all of that very unconvincing whereas the baby although clearly wrong and incredibly homophobic he hasn't done any of that he's just gone Nah, i saw a guy in a crop top clearly gay, and he was, <laughs> and he was fine with me. Like, I'm standing, you guys don't get it. You guys are the problem. I think that- At least the wrong, I would have preferred one of the comedians to have gone, look, I won't make that joke now. Uh, you know, it was okay in 2003, but yeah, I'm not apologizing. Like that, th- it, it, it would have been more correct if they did it. Like the baby clearly should be apologizing. But my point is, is like, if that's what he actually thinks and he refuses to completely lie, like so many, especially comedians, and some tv hosts have clearly done a little bit of credit for that
1: i just love like all the people going out of their way to like separate themselves from the baby like you know obviously the people who have worked with him before but even people who have never worked with him like i feel like we're a day away from snl being like yeah we've actually hired him and fired him so you don't need to get mad at us
0: <laughs> well you know everyone's going on about how snl needs to be uh, get dropping michael che we might get to that a bit later um I also... I just want to read all of the jokes that Michael J posted <laughs> on his what? Instagram. Why are you trying to cancel <laughs> us? Because we started... I like doing this because podcast. Because I'll remind everyone that if at any point during today's episode you think we've overstepped the boundary, just remember that today's episode started with... ba jeremys woke calls! We did it! I uh,
1: I also love just the thought now of, you know, going bringing this back to Kid Rock. Like, you know, him sitting at his house coming up with the guest list for his next, you know, COVID party. And he's so upset as he's crossing Matt Damon off the list and adding in DaBaby. He's like, I never thought this day would come. <laughs> I feel like DaBaby is just one last point on this. He's he's kind of protected. He's doing the smart, you know, the rap community with every controversy in the history of hip hop has mm. taken the Fox News route of controversy don't admit you did anything wrong don't apologize for what you did wrong just stop doing the thing that you did wrong right and so you know for i mean look at for you know he's not controversial anymore but eminem in the early 2000s Mm. i mean there were so many things that he did to piss people off Mm. and he put it in songs he did it when he was doing interviews he did it on live television and yet time and time again when you see those lists of the greatest rappers of all time eminem is right there on it no but, one's canceling him you know why because he didn't apologize right. he didn't say i'm sorry but he, he just stopped doing it he's
0: a good example of uh the inverse of uh, the type of people that i was just referring to like you said he was like Look, i did it at the time it's either done in character or it's done for comedic purposes if you don't think it's funny then you don't need to laugh at the joke but i'm not apologizing it's the same way as that uh you know when when there seemed to be a a spate of uh, who did blackface in the past 20 years. We're going to try and cancel them all. And, uh, you know, Jimmy Kimmel was like, I'll just take a summer off and people will forget. And that kind of (laughs) works. And um, Jimmy Fallon was like, okay, I'm going to book a whole week of black people on my show and listen to their struggle. And we're going to do it on Zoom, which makes it look even more disingenuous because you keep getting like split screen close ups of whoever's talking to me. And I'm going oh, wow, wow, I never knew that about the slave trade. Wow, wow, <laughs> wow. And it was- and Yeah, I'm for like, some reason, he's still laughing at everything. And, and I'm like, yeah, like, I, I, I don't buy into any of that. But then Howard Stern, who got caught up in that controversy, was like, yeah, I did blackface, and I said the N-word on, like, some New Year's Eve celebration he was on like, TV. was yeah, I put was it like, on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't apologize for it. I wouldn't do it now. We've moved on, and, and everyone, like, forgot about that. So, you know, Stern and Eminem, you know, I don't think either of them are bad people. I think both of them are very very talented people. But they were like, Yeah, I did it at that time. Was it right to do it then? Probably not. Would I do it now? No, I'm not doing it now. But equally I'm not apologizing for it for, for back then
1: right right i mean howard stern actually had the best way of going about it you know you whenever we do make these jokes you know, jimmy kimmel's the first one you bring up and for good reason because he's on the complete opposite end oh. you know he's mr wokeness so right. the fact that he did something like that it seems so shocking but or someone like sarah silverman for instance who you know when everyone brought back up her show and her use of blackface you know she quickly came out and apologized said i can't believe i did it but that's the thing that Howard Stern said. He's you know, he's like, this isn't a secret. It was on television. Yeah. Thousands of people saw it at the time. You all just forgot about it, but it was still there. It still happened. So then to bring it up 20, 30 years right. later is absurd because like it's not on me for doing it, it's on you for not caring until twenty years later. Right. So again, because in all those situations, they weren't wearing blackface to be like, "We're not giving black people a role." We're going to wear it to show that we can have these roles too. Like it was in the '30s. Right. They right. were wearing blackface to make jokes about how ridiculous it is to wear blackface. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Well, we don't need to go down that route. But I. But that. That. But my point being here, then, even though what the baby did like uh, two weeks ago, Matt Damon's like. Was I doing it before or after the baby? Like, in terms of like, <laughs> hang on a minute, I need to call my daughter. Hey, you know when you wrote me that essay on not using the uh, the gay F-word slur, was it before or after baby did that thing in Miami? I just want to like, because I might have to say the Huffington Post, could we just add an extra paragraph for clarity here? What What's his goal
1: right now? Like, what's he doing for his daughter? Because the two big stories about Matt Damon during the Stillwater promotion tour is A, that his daughter taught him not to use the F-word, and B, that his daughter always... makes fun of his bad movies and tells him when he's in bad movies. Like, Mm. is he trying to line up his daughter for, like, a critic role with the New York Times? What's going on here? I don't know. I mean... Something's um, up. Yeah, We're gonna be seeing a lot of Matt Damon's daughter. Just wait. Maybe.
0: Maybe. There might be an ulterior motive there. But, yeah, see, so now does it sound so terrible that I'm going, you know, absolutely appalling things to say and shouldn't harbor these views, but the fact the baby clearly does harbor these views and hasn't done this complete about-turn and is like, nah, nah, Ah, I don't care, like, you know, right. <laughs> He's like, that's who I am. The, right. That's what you know, that's that that's one thing. Um so so- you're giving him credit for being him. I'm giving him credit for not doing a complete disingenuous. Right. You know, you're giving
1: uh, him credit for being true to who he is. As terrible of a person yeah, as yeah, that I'm is, no, no I'm, not, a, I'm not coming down on you for it. I tell you, it. yeah, a terrible
0: person. I quite agree. But the fact that he hasn't done the, you know, the whole kind of like, you know, like I just said, week of Jimmy Fallon. Go, oh, 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 my God, oh God, yeah, you know, like he hasn't got the baby. Didn't go. You know what I'm going to do to apologize? I'm going to sit in my my own private theater for a month and watch that uh, Harvey Milk movie like just to <laughs> learn about repeat, the right on repeat and then I'll come out a better person you um, know i feel like you want to say the word <laughs> <laughs> so uh the thing that intrigues me now is um you know we can't uh, we can't cancel the baby fast enough
1: Um, I still say we just force him into growing up and becoming an infant, but
0: whatever. uh, Well, I'm wondering if, like, you know, there is anyone who will put him on a bill now. Uh, Are there there a few clubs that are looking at things? And again, the situation with COVID closing all venues and people strapped for cash and stuff like that. And there's maybe secret conversations going on with, you know, when... uh, we had that off-the-record chat about should we book Bill Cosby? What about if it was Bill Cosby and baby? Like, <laughs> like, it's, it's a variety. That sounds like the worst children's book ever. It's, it definitely wouldn't be
1: a children's book. Um, <laughs> Bill Cosby and DaBaby?
0: It's a var- it sounds
1: like a children's <laughs> book. It'd be Very like, much not so. It'd be
0: like a variety show, you know? Like old-school Saturday night TV. You've got music and you've got someone telling jokes. Listen, put
1: your Lollapalooza's... Uh, you know, headliners list up against this. Kid Rock throwing festival list all day you want. I think we get Insane Clown Posse on the bill. We throw uh, you know, like you said Bill Cosby. We always <laughs> like to add Marilyn Manson into these things. Why not? We'll give a, a Harvey Weinstein a furlough for the
0: weekend. Hey, well, you know, I don't think you can bring uh, Insane Clown Posse into it. I mean, suddenly they're now... They're out of craziness not would, of
1: anything controversy. No,
0: I mean, suddenly now they're like mainstream and safe. They're like the safe option in comparison to the bill <laughs> that we're, we're suggesting. We just we're clown maker, man that you put together. By the way, on the subjects of Lollapalooza, I just want to say, um, well done Hulu for streaming the entire festival in real time. Um, You know, I'd mentioned that I'd seen that um, All Time Low were going to be playing Lollapalooza because they were posting about it. And I was thinking, I don't need to go see them at Lollapalooza because I don't want to deal with the porta potties, but it was making me kind of miss live music and thinking when they play up the street in an indoor venue, I'm down. But the idea of being able to have a festival in real time on my TV that I could view from my sofa, and this is the key thing, while watching the TV, you can comfortably see the door to my bathroom, my own personal bathroom, <laughs> that is my kind of festival experience. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh,
1: Coachella's been doing this a few years now on YouTube. I remember in like 2011, me and my college roommate, like we knew a bunch of people that went to Coachella, but we couldn't go. So we you know, sat on the couch and, you know, had a party in our house and watching it was just like we were there well not really
0: my but. problem with the Coachella stream though is that uh, I don't see anyone that I know like right, it's well, just like
1: it's a, whereas you again this was 2011 I was 19 it's only people I knew at Coachella I, I, at that time I'm watching,
0: uh, I'm watching uh, you know a lineup of people at uh, Lollapalooza and I'm like I'm familiar with these people I know Hampton. I know Miley Cyrus I know Billy Idol I know All Time Low I know Limp Bizkit I was, was gonna need, say you better mention Limp Bizkit we need to get to the Limp biscuit. we'll get to that in a second. But um, I was just uh, very much enjoying, my TV this week uh, was very much uh, centered around watching a Lollapalooza live stream, making me realize that I miss live music but not festivals. This is more... <laughs> It made you realize how much you hate festivals. I just look, I don't like to be exposed to the elements. Anything could happen. It was raining at certain times during the- uh, Yeah, that's the worst. It is the worst. I hate getting wet. So I was just very much enjoying this and uh, watching the live stream from Lollapalooza. So that was a great thing. And then I just want to say, if anyone is uh, looking for a new music-based TV thing to watch, Someone recommended to me um, this uh, McCartney 321. I, I was almost going to cancel my Hulu subscription, and they they totally clawed it Hulu back. Hulu making a comeback. Yeah, so they're giving me a comfortable festival experience from my couch that I'm very pleased with. And they've got this uh, documentary six-part series, uh, which is Paul McCartney and Rick Rubin. Now, I've got to tell you that the idea of um, Paul McCartney in a studio with a born-again hippie is not particularly enticing to me. Like, Paul McCartney has been rolling out the same Beatles stories for, like, 50 years now, and I did not think that some hippie sitting cross-legged on the studio floor could make Paul McCartney give a fresh take on those Beatles tunes. But I couldn't be more wrong. It is superb. It's the two of them all filmed in black and white. They sit in a studio. There's not even any chronology to it. So it's literally just them with the master tapes of mostly Beatles songs. Obviously, Rick Rubin, a very accomplished producer and you know Paul McCartney being a Beatle, listening back to tracks, isolating vocals and different musical instruments and stuff like that. And it's so great. They're, I think they're all 30-minute episodes. I watched the first three and then wanted to save the second three because I didn't want it to end that soon. That's how good it is. I'm, see, that's a that's a review and a half right there because I was very
1: intrigued by this documentary. I'm a big Paul McCartney Beatles fan. I'm a huge Rick Rubin fan. A lot of people call me a ginger-haired Rick Rubin. That being I, said, you know
0: what, you're aligning yourself with some very successful people. Doing if you're, today's podcast. Fat, <laughs> you're hairy and you got a beard. I kind of look like you. Right. If one of the Hemsworths suddenly gets fat to play Rick Rubin in a biopic, you're gonna be so pissed off. No, I'm gonna be like, hell yeah, I look like a Hemsworth now. <laughs> no, I mean, if Hemsworth like becomes like, you know, hey, the name is still the name, Leto. buddy.
1: <laughs> that being said, I was a little bit, I didn't know what to expect from this documentary, it didn't seem like something I'd be into, but I was definitely. Intrigued to watch it, so now with this review, I mean, I
0: think we might as well not skip part two and it's um, throw it on. It's uh, it's really good, and and the other thing that was my fear was that um, there would be. McCartney'd be like yeah yeah yeah, okay look we'll do a quick bit on Maxwell's Silver Hammer but then after that I really want to talk about the stuff on my new album which like that that was what I was expecting but I think there's like one bit where they play a bit of a well it was a song that I didn't know I can't even attest that it was on his latest album I'm gonna guess it was But the rest of it was all like, you know, it's pretty much 90% Beatles. They do some wing stuff where he talks about making uh, Band on the Run and uh, Live and Let Die. But so it's everything I was not expecting. There's new information. It's really interesting. It's a great little guide. Um, It's all about the songs you want to know about not mccartney's catalog from the last 20 years right um and uh and it's just uh it's just really good the only thing i would say is i do that rick rubin with this whole i I, look i know he's got this whole hippie vibe going on and maybe that's what makes him a great producer because he works in a creative field i did find myself thinking at some point paul mccartney should have gone I'm a fucking beetle. Put some clothes on, like because because <laughs> your Rick, feet stink, r- sir. Right, because Rick Rubin. It's not just. That, I mean, I'm recording this podcast in an old T-shirt and some sweatpants, but no one's looking at me, right? right? If 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 after this podcast, I were about to go to a recording studio and make a documentary with Paul McCartney, I would put some half decent clothes on. I wouldn't go out like this. And Rick Rubin's not only just in like a T-shirt and 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 shorts. He's in. T shirt and shorts that look like they haven't been washed in about three months. they like his clothes look almost as dirty as his feet must be. There's something about becoming like an ultra
1: successful millionaire or billionaire that no matter what, you revert back to your most
0: homelessness. Like,
1: if you look at any of the billionaires, you rarely see them in suits. They always look no, like no, they no, dress no. a terrible story. I, I get
0: that because really, no one wants to wear a suit. That's no. like what you have to do if you have to dress smartly to do a job to pay rent, that you, the, the the job that you don't really want to do. So if you become an ultra successful person and then go, okay this has earned me the right to dress how I want to dress, right. I totally get that. But like you say, Rick Rubin I, like the homeless people down the street from my apartment dress better than Rick Rubin. <laughs> At least similar. I, and uh, I mean, I, could, I felt like going up to some tents and going, man, you got some great Rick Rubin chic going on today. Like, I don't, It's like the... Uh, Why are you wearing shoes? Got, it's throwing off the whole I, thing. I got a new idea for, you know, John Vovartis, the kind of rock and roll designer right. store, right? This is how they could do some good charity work because, you know, they'll get like Slash and Howard Stern and right. people like that to model their clothes and stick them in the window. Why don't they just go raise some money for the homeless by paying the homeless? homeless to wear some new John Vavata's clothes and going we've got the new Rick Rubin range this is what we're doing now I'm pretty sure Kanye already did that I'm telling you it's so apart from that apart from the fact that um, Paul McCartney should have at some point gone Rick, are you gonna get dressed before uh, you know I talk about a day in the life because John, John Lennon, Lennon, Lennon would really hate this. <laughs> apart from that, it's, yeah, right. John Lennon never wore clothes. It's <laughs> apart from no, but see, John Lennon, like, it takes some effort to look bedraggled when John Lennon looked bedraggled. It takes Keith Richards, even back in the seventies, to look as elegantly wasted as he did. Yeah. And Rick Rubin is just like, like, no, I don't, I, don't, it's, it's, it's too much. But apart from that, as I said he does actually sit around with his legs crossed and get some good information out of Paul McCartney about uh, Beatles stuff that I didn't know. So uh, McCartney321, and for bringing a festival into my front room very close to my own personal extremely clean bathroom, uh, Hulu, you've definitely got at least one more $7.99 out of me. Uh, We'll get some more stuff, including Fred Durst at Lollapalooza in part two. All right, let's do part two of Did You America, song of the week. Last week, New York producer went with Downtown by Jake Bug, 20% of the vote. Jeremy's Choice, Childish Gambino with Stay High, 20% of the vote. Uh, The Secret He Had Missed by the Manic Street Preachers, uh, which was my song, 60%, so well done to Manic's. And like I mentioned last week, they're a very good Welsh band. No one in America knows them because their potential big break was opening up for Oasis on that 90s tour that Oasis were too British and work-shy to bother completing. And the Maddox never really got to come back since. So uh, you should listen to them because they're better. That and the fact that they're Welsh. We don't even know where that is in America. Um, all right, Where's well, Welsh land? Uh, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> It's in the part of the world that's not Australia. Okay, got it, Because you got, it. like, England and
1: Australia, right? If you're not America, I don't care.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, Manic Street Preachers winning with uh, 60% of the vote. Uh, let's set up some new songs of the week. Uh, this week, New York producer is going with Secret Life by Bleachers featuring Lana Del Rey. I chose Skate by Silk Sonic. And I am choosing the uh, new solo song from Alice in Chains guitarist Jerry Cantrell. He has one called Atone. So, Atone by Jerry Cantrell, Skate by Silk Sonic, or Secret Life by Bleachers featuring Lana Del Rey. Uh, vote for Song of the Week at digiamerica.com. Or if you would like to vote on Twitter, I'll have a poll on my Twitter. I am at Ian Camfield on Twitter. Uh, if you want to get involved with the Song of the Week this week, thank you as ever for those people who took the time to vote. So, um... One more thing on Lollapalooza, and uh, this I think was the the highlight. And the uh, the D- 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 baby was taking the headlines for being cancelled, but really the headlines from Lollapalooza should have been that Fred Durst has had the most awesome makeover.
1: Oh my! I mean, like it's crazy. He's trying to transition Wimp Biscuit into like Yacht Rock. It seems like he
0: looks like how the Beastie Boys dressed up for the sabotage video, right? right? That, was my, <laughs> that was my
1: first... Okay, that's perfect. I've been trying to figure out what he looks like, and that's literally it. With the Fu Manchu stash and the shaggy hair, just a white... like, white-colored hairstyle version of that. That's the perfect con. He's
0: grown into his 50-year-old self. Is he 50 now? Yeah.
1: I still expected... I'm clearly comfortable with it. I was fully still expecting, like, the backwards hat, you know, the, the sole patch, you know, a little chubby face, but... The baggy pants. Yeah, but not only that, like... He still is covered in tattoos, so it made his attire seem that much odder. because, like, all of a sudden you'd see just, like, fuck on his knuckles, like, poking through. He's,
0: like, uh, yeah, because he was wearing, like, this cardigan. Like, he was looking like a proper, like, old man, quite comfortable with his moppy gray hair and all that kind of stuff. Sort of trying to cover up everything that alluded to the old Fred Durst. I've got a, a friend of mine uh, called Brandon who... Who's a news reader, and he is—he's an artist himself, but he's covered in tattoos, right? Like he's got full sleeves, his right. back and his legs are done. But he sits on—it's uh, Channel Three back in Arizona—and reads their evening news. And you know, like every newscaster, he's sitting there in a suit and tie and everything, and he—and he looks like you know, just uh, your average 40-year-old newscaster. Except that sometimes he'll, like, interact with his co-host next to him and a sleeve on his suit goes up and, like, a little bit of, uh, a little little bit of ink comes out. That's kind of like what Fred Durst was doing with his uh, old man, gray-haired look at Lollapalooza. The,
1: the best was, like, he also wasn't moving very much, which is, you know, to go along with the look. But what was so odd was seeing him in this look while their guitar player, who you know wears a mask and has braids and goes crazy on stage and always has, is doing the exact same thing he was doing 20 years ago.
0: Well, I just think that uh, Fred Durst is uh, comfortable with his age, he's making the songs easier, you know, like you said, he's jumping around less. This is like, like nothing that Limp Biscuit did ever took any singing, so this is the the, the physical version of an older artist that starts singing in a lower register because they can't hit the notes quite as high as they did when they were in their 20s or their 30s so he's like if I allow my natural grey hair to grow out and put on a cardigan do you think that gets me out of jumping?
1: You you hit it right on the head because he, his voice was nowhere where it should be for a major headliner of a festival because he would try you know it's it's rap rock You know, there's not a lot of singing involved but we're back you out on the ground Voice when you do it every once in a while he would where I guess before his voice would kind of go up mm. he would try to hit those notes and would just squeal and then go right back to the deep register right 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 right, right. yeah
0: so I think he's uh, he's working within his abilities and he's also thinking. If he came out looking like people remember Fred Durst and suddenly he's not jumping around like he used to and he's sounding kind of a bit hoarse in terms of the voice, that would have been everyone's attention. You're the only person that's talking about the fact he ain't moving and he sounded a bit crap because he's covering for all of that with the fact that he looks like the Beastie Boys dressed up in the sabotage video. I, I just love that this is my generation's version of nostalgia. Like <laughs> you know, like, your
1: generation's... Like, like, you know, all these awesome like 80s and 90s rock bands and for me like i remember being a 12 11 13 year old kid at jewish summer camp right. and showing my friends chocolate starfish and hot dog flavor whatever the hell it was yeah. and just absolutely loving it not knowing at all what they're saying loving that they had a song that dropped the f-word like 50 times in one song yeah. and then you know over the last 10 years they kind of became like oh okay we've matured like that's bad music we can't listen to that anymore and then boom one HBO documentary comes out blaming them for murders, and then all of a sudden they're the biggest band in the world again. Fred Durst is like, "I'm changing my luck. This is gonna shock the world, and everyone's gonna love me." It is, uh, and he's right. Well, I love him. Is
0: that? Do you think? So that HBO documentary is the one about the second Woodstock festival, right? Woodstock '99. Right? So, so people died during Limp Biscuit set, right? And 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 I haven't seen the documentary, but I'm get. I guess they're sort of inferring that. Fred Durst was inciting the crowd to go wild and that's how people died. <laughs> yeah, I, I- Is that had, the gist of it? That's
1: basically the gist of it. I had a friend who had an incredible take on this. He's just kind of pointing out the absurdity of wokeness in 2021. And he mentioned the fact that, you know, in the same day that they canceled the baby for saying, you know, something homophobic, mm. they promoted a band who they're only promoting because they're being blamed for murders in a documentary.
0: Do you think that's the that was what was behind the makeover? Fred Durst was like, "Shit, there's so much retro blaming for everything that's going on. I could actually be indicted for murder. I'm gonna have to disguise myself. So I'm a dad
1: now." <laughs> actually, like- <laughs> that's absolutely what he was doing. Because I you know I watched a lot of the uh, Limp Biscuit performance, and my favorite part was right as he's about to go into break stuff. He's talking to the crowd, and he's like. We don't want none of that Woodstock 99 bullshit. This is Lollapalooza, and we gonna party like it's 1999 and then went into the song that in 1999 caused a riot that killed people. He's,
0: hide, he's hiding in plain sight. It's if great. the cops were at the side of the stage, he's going, I ain't Fred, as if, <laughs> as if, as if Fred Durst would look like this. Uh,
1: that guy has a soul patch. I have a Fu Manchu that is white, sir.
0: You're getting your 90s confused. I was an extra in the Beastie Boys sabotage <laughs> right. video. I never did break stuff. That weren't me. I just,
1: you know, again, like I watched it almost as a joke and I have to say, of all the performances i think limp biscuit was my favorite well
0: now see i have a theory on uh, on fred durst and limp biscuit and i think that uh, never mind that woodstock uh, documentary i think that actually this has been a very long-term project of fred durst to have a comeback of guns and roses proportions and the thing that uh, spurred me onto this theory i was not aware that Limp biscuit have been working on their own Chinese democracy. I was not aware that the last time Limp biscuit released an album was more than a decade ago, and that one year after whatever their most recent album was, they announced that they were going to be putting out a new album that was going to be called, wait for it, Stampede of the Disco Elephants. (laughs) Of course. And that... It's a great name. Ten years later, we are still waiting for Stampede of the Disco Elephants. That that to me is like, this is the new metal version of Axel going, all right, we've done the spaghetti incident. I've fired the rest of the band, but I've got this great new project and we're going to call it Chinese Democracy. And that took like 15 years to come into fruition. Fred Durst has got this Stampede of the Disco Elephants album because no one was talking about that. I feel like I'm a big music fan. I've got encyclopedic music knowledge, useless music knowledge in my head, apart from if I'm a a trivia quiz and I'm good at the music room. I had no idea that there was a Limp Bizkit album called Stampede of the Disco Elephants that was being discussed 10 (laughs) years ago. I don't think you should be ashamed of that. No, but my point is... I know now, and why do I know now? Because suddenly Old Man Durst from the Sabotage Beastie Boys video is on stage at Lollapalooza getting all of this attention. And suddenly people are going, oh, oh, okay, and there's this new album in the works. And then, you know, everything is a cycle. And you were talking about the difference between my generation and your generation. Again, that's the Limp Biscuit song. See, it's all coming together, right? My generation, that was one of their songs, right? All right, right. Right, your generation are due for the, oh we used to love this shit and look at him now, right? And also they're thinking like, you know, a lot of your generation have got fat. You were always fat. But some of, <laughs> some, some, some of your peers have got fat and they've become dads. So they're like, oh, he's one of us. Look, yeah. he, he's, he's, he don't jump around. He's got a cardigan on. Doobble gobble. Some, one of us. Some of your generation were looking at that Lollapalooza uh, performance going, I've got that cardigan. I've got right? <laughs> right. So, so I, and, and this is right? So I think not only is it a totally long Long-term project premeditated comeback from, from Fred Durst. I also think the thing that we forget because Limp Biscuit became kind of a, a joke for so long, right. was that There was a period of time, now it was only a few years, but back then that was all you needed, where Limp Biscuit were the biggest act on the planet, right? And I remember around that time, Fred Durst was not only cleaning up by being the front man with Limp Biscuit, he was kind of like the the new metal version of Gene Simmons. There was a lot of he was reports of him getting involved with all of these business dealings, Ah, throwing his money around. And he was around Limp Biscuit, like around that chocolate uh, chocolate starfish album era. That was the tail end of the music business having an obscene amount of money. And for that period, before everything went online and the music industry totally lost its way, probably the the current band that were earning the most amount of money during that period were Limp Bizkit. And I think that Fred Durst has been very shrewd in a all of the money that he made back then from the music b all of his investments in side prod- products and c just kind of disappearing and doing his own thing and just waiting for him to come back in fashion because people think like he's going to be like some washed up guy like you see from an 80s metal band who's living in a you know, studio apartment he can't afford rent on. I think Fred Durst is probably still worth millions and millions and millions. Probably had a good time staying in one of his many mansions. And now it's like, I've waited so long, I can come out, I can make serious money again. I'm not going to be the joke that I was. And also, if I do this makeover, which I may or may not have done because I thought I was going to be arrested for murder, I can also do it without having to jump around or hit any notes because I look like an old man. I I really like
1: the the Axl Rose, Guns N' Roses comparison. I'm starting to think that, you know, we haven't seen this guy in 10 years. He's probably looked like this for a while now. This is basically his Axl with braids phase. And now we're at the tail end of the Axl with braces, you know, now we're in the Axel fat, weird, mop right, head. Right. Maybe got some work done to the face look. Right. What's the next look we're going to get from Fred
0: Durst? But you see, this is also where Fred Durst is taking the Axl Rose model and making it better. Because axel Rose still tries to look like a version of himself. And be it because of the braids or because he's a little bit more... Well, clearly he has no crimes anymore he's hiding from. <laughs> well, but, but be it the braids or be it because he's a little fatter than he was or whatever everyone focuses on that whereas fred dürst ain't trying to be fred dürst from chocolate starfish right. he's trying to be fred dürst pipe and slippers i mean i you know the next look Once he's made a little bit of money and they can afford a bit more of a stage show and they're back in arenas, I'm saying a rocking chair. Like, that's going to be a prop on stage. (laughs) He's going to go like, you know what? I think I've perfected this uh, grey-haired cardigan look to such an extent. I could do the whole show sitting down. I'm not going to name names, but there's a few rock stars that I know who are still out there doing it, who are older. And in private, they've said to me, they look at, like, certain artists that are sort of crooners, like the Tony Bennetts of the world. Right. And they said to me, "Do you know what I'd give to be able to do the show sitting down? <laughs> like that's that's when a rock star gets to a certain age, and it's upbeat music, and they can't go the Tony Bennett, I'll just sit on a stall kind of route. Right. You know, they can't do that like Frankie Valli does now. Like it's not an option. Fred Durst is just manipulating everything beautifully, so he can just uh, sit there." Like rocking back and forth with that look, I think that cardigan is well suited to a rocking chair. I'm excited. Let's get the next step of Limp Biscuit going. So, my other thing that I wanted to ask about is: uh, can we? Uh, should I be watching this Grateful Dead documentary? Because this is, uh, you know, I feel like I'm all music, music up now from me deciding that I should um, uh, continue my Hulu subscription. They gave me the Great McCartney documentary. Um, They've given me just so much entertainment and so much to think about off the back of the Fred Durr show. Um, Should I be investing my time in the Amazon documentary on the Grateful Dead when, A, I don't really care for the Grateful Dead, but B, as America's biggest fan, that's something that I feel almost guilty for because doesn't every real American love the dead? I wouldn't say...
1: I think America's pretty split on that. It's really more dependent on if you're a fan of drugs or not. (laughs) For instance, I love The Grateful Dead.
0: (laughs) Right. But I can
1: see why you're not a big fan. Do
0: you have to be out of your mind?
1: Well, I can tell you I'm going to go see Dead and Company in October. I'm not planning to be in my mind. Right. Yes.
0: It's the only way to enjoy
1: it. I wouldn't say that, but it definitely enhances. So
0: I don't – the the friend of mine who wasn't particularly into The Grateful Dead just said that this documentary on Amazon, he's like, it's a bit like their songs. It goes on for a long time, but it's more entertaining than their songs. I think whoever's made the documentary is is of the school of thought of people that are real deadheads – are going to be too stoned to take in what my documentary says anyway. Right. So th- they'll watch it regardless. The people that think they don't like The Grateful Dead will watch it because I feel like he, to some extent he's kind of showing how ridiculous the whole thing is. I mean, i put it this way. I, I met a guy in Dallas a while ago who played in a Grateful Dead tribute band, right? And I said, you're going to think less of me but the only Grateful Dead song I I could name is the one hit that they had, Touch of Grime. Right. Now, I think that most true deadheads absolutely hate that song because it's so not typical of the Grateful Dead and it, and it was their one hit. I would say, like... That song, Touch Grey by Grateful Dead, is in my top 20 songs of all time. And that, Jeremy Hoffman, is a tightly contested list to get into,
1: right? I got to say, that's still, I mean, you say you're not a Grateful Dead fan, but even to have that be a fan of that one song, who cares about what the deadheads feel? They're all on drugs. Their opinions don't matter. To say one of your 20 favorite songs of all time is a Grateful Dead song, regardless of what song in the catalog it is, that kind of makes you a deadhead. Right.
0: And I I was... Eat this acid. <laughs> 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 yeah, you can enjoy the 5 minute pop hit but if right. you want to go further, just take a uh, just take this tab yeah, and right. see how you get on. <laughs> see how it feels. So see I'm, you in eight hours. I'm I'm uh, I'm talking to uh Mr. Grateful Dead tribute band and um I'm That's his name. I'm thinking I don't know what the fucking band was called, <laughs> I don't know, but but I'm thinking that like I'm going to like massively upset him by saying this And he says to me, you know, the truthful thing is, Touch of Grey is actually one of the hardest songs that we play in the set. And I go, really? And he's like, yeah. Because bearing in mind, Grateful Dead Tribute Band, man. Right because it's a proper song and the guitar solo in the middle is really complicated the other stuff we play no one knows if we're getting it right or wrong because it goes (laughs) on for like 20 minutes and I'm thinking like if that's the approach that the Amazon documentary takes I could be into that right? If you're going to sell me that there's some great musical architecture and genius involved with the songs that went on for so long that uh, Jerry Garcia could go backstage shoot up some smack and then reappear and still get back in time with the same song. I don't know if I can be that into that. Yeah, that's not for you. You know, so I'm just putting it out there. If anyone has uh, if anyone has seen the Grateful Dead documentary on Amazon, before I start investing my time in it, does it echo the school of thought that really the only decent song they had was the pop hit? I, I kind of love this era of rock documentaries
1: that we're getting like essentially if you had one or two hit songs there's gonna be a a documentary about you and every single time it makes everyone love that band like did you see the one i think it was about the b52s there's a documentary on them it's incredible there's so many there i just read an article this morning that there was a some director who has been working on a Led Zeppelin documentary just completed that. And it's like the first one they've ever like participated in. Oh, they've
0: agreed to it. Yeah, no, they're, they're a part of it. (laughs) It has
1: like unheard of footage or something. But
0: I, but you know, um, as soon as I hear that this is the first documentary that Led Zeppelin have been like, yeah, we give that our blessing, my immediate reaction is it doesn't contain anything interesting. Like, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, and in 1974, Jimmy Page kept a 14-year-old locked in the closet while right. they were still right. Like, it's not like, you know, if, if, if Led Zeppelin were like, yeah, yeah, we're okay with this, I feel like it's probably the most uninteresting documentary that there is. Which, wait, huh, which one? Led Zeppelin. Well, you think that's going to be the least interesting one? I just, were you listening to anything I just said? No, that's why <laughs> you tuned out at the. You tuned out at the bit where I referenced Jimmy Page. Keeping it—were you just on Google, going "14-year-old locks in a closet" to see if that story's true? Jesus Christ. This Sorry. isn't a Grateful Dead show. You don't get the option to just spin out for 20 minutes. All I got was the very
1: end when you said that the Led Zeppelin documentary wasn't going to be a good one. If, <laughs> if
0: the band are like, yeah, 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 we're fine with that. What I'm saying is the most interesting stories are the ones that the members of the band would be like, no, 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 we can't have you talk about that.
1: But I think that you're not going to get that with this one because realistically like they're not sitting down and given the whole documentary spiel. They've just like given access to footage that like no no one's ever seen before so i think you're gonna get like the real nitty-gritty Led Zeppelin stories that no one wants to hear about. And then. Nitty, not gritty. Afterwards, is, is, you're going to hear them coming out and be like, this is appalling. We had nothing to do with this. No, no, you
0: just said that they did say they've given it their blessing. They they haven't seen the
1: film. They just, they gave access Le- to this uh, footage. No, you didn't
0: read the story. I read the story. You lost track of me talking about the story 60 seconds into it because me I talking was looking up it. more info about the story. you Googling 14 year old locks in a closet. Jimmy Page is the first picture that I, comes up. I would not Google that. I know better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's how they get you
0: all right here comes the end of this week's podcast where we just read jokes from michael chase deleted instagram all right let's see this <laughs> let's cancel us already so when we um when we mentioned this last week I, I i thought and i think this was the case at that point when we were recording the podcast michael Che posted a simone biles joke on instagram or twitter and uh People were appalled by it. In the time since, Michael Che was basically um, figuring out what he was going to do for stand-up that night somewhere in New York and said that he had a load of Simone Biles jokes in his head and he wasn't kind of sure whether or not he was going to go do them on stage. So um, what he did was say, hey, if you've got any Simone Biles jokes, then uh, send them in and he started rating them and putting them on his Twitter <laughs> so I guess he's getting cancelled so we don't have to well I think um, he, he went for quite some time and then it caused uh, uproar and then he since deleted all of these posts uh, from his uh, I think it was on Instagram um, not particularly on uh, on Twitter but of course people were screenshotting them and uh, various uh, posts have now made uh, the headlines on Deadline and places like that um, so let me find the, um... Uh, some of the highlights. Uh, so, yeah, basically, he was like, I'm going to hit me up with your Simone Biles jokes. I'll steal the best ones. And then if they don't go down well on stage in New York tonight, I'll just go, Well, it wasn't me. People sent this on Instagram. So, just like SNL, as long as it comes out of
1: his mouth, it's now his joke forever. <laughs>
0: well, I, <laughs> I don't know. But I like the fact that he started uh, basically rating them. So, this is how it went down, for example send me your Simone Biles jokes and I'll let you know what I think someone text him who said black don't crack wait so no you can't say these things on <laughs> I'm saying that he this is what he put this is what he put on his Instagram all right go on I'm quoting from deadline no I get it I'm just saying what he's gonna get us canceled he gave that eight out of 10 that's not bad <laughs> I like is the follow-up. He goes, now that's a good joke. Economical, Referential and balanced,
1: <laughs> so he's breaking them down, letting them know where they can find the comedy. Uh,
0: yes, it's yes, like it, a, it, it's a workshop. He's helping people. I was just about to say this, and you know what? I was also reading today. Uh, you get these posts from like radio consultants, people that consult morning shows and podcasts and stuff, and tell you like what you should be doing more of, what you should be doing less of. And I read a, a blog today from a radio consultant that was saying when it comes to uh, content, the key is the key of. Th- Free. He said, if you do a morning show on the radio, have three people. If you're telling a story, have three elements. If you're telling a long story and you want to give people like an option of like where they we should go with the story, like give them three things. So I'm kind of tempted to reply to that blog from the consultant on Twitter and go, hey, you know the power of three? Michael Chase said this was economical, referential, and balanced. Here's the joke. What do you think? Should I do this joke? <laughs> Can I do it on there. What's the word? <laughs>
1: I'll just say, (laughs) were there any jokes that were worse than the ones he did?
0: Um... Well, I think he only had the one joke and then basically was rating everyone else's jokes. And then uh, there were others that came through that were kind of like, oh, yeah, all right. And then uh, eventually he took so much heat from me, he put a post saying, man, with a lot of ends, I got hacked today. Can't believe they got me. You know, I only do jokes about whites and cops. <laughs> now, wait, you, uh,
1: people have to realize that that's. He's joking there too, right?
0: But does he get credit for basically supporting the idea that, you know, you can make jokes about anything? And like, if you don't like it, you can turn it off. You can unfollow him. You can change the channel. You can stop listening to this podcast. If the Michael Che joke I just quoted was as terrible as Jeremy said, (laughs) you can't stop listening. You do comedy, right? And there's been some time. I like this sometimes. Sometimes we have uh, uh, discussions about this podcast before the podcast and you say something and I'm like I don't know about that and you go ah, and I'll say you know what try it at a stand-up club and if they laugh in front of you then we can do it well, on the podcast he was he was doing that that's but what I'm f- saying it,
1: well it's much different because in the in the in the club where you're doing stand-up they're generally gonna laugh at that type of humor it's online and for, you know not in a dark room where people
0: don't know where you are where all of a sudden you can't laugh at things right okay but still does he deserve a little bit of credit for going like because i felt like he knew exactly what he was doing right he's kind of rallying against all the people that we mentioned before that got canceled 20 years after they posted something that was controversial he's taking the kind of stance of like comedy's comedy we can make jokes about it i'm gonna take a controversial topic and give me your jokes
1: though different because with humor he's trying to make a statement in the end Michael Che is just doing what DaBaby and the rap community have always done. Don't apologize. Don't ask for forgiveness. Don't admit you did anything wrong. Just stop it and move on. And that's what he's doing. He said, oh, I was hacked, all right, joke's over. Yeah. Now let me go back to reading you the news on SNL.
0: Yeah, yeah. What the Deadline article doesn't say is that when he went to the comedy club in New York to try out some of these lines, what were the parameters for which people should raise their camera phones up in the air? I
1: think even Michael Che knows, especially in New York. (laughs) You stay away from that one. Also, real quick, just to the last segment, I want to point out I was wrong. It wasn't a B 52's documentary, it's the Go Go's documentary that's really good. The B 52's documentary was supposed to be made by Fred Armisen, but then he didn't make it. Right. That's where I was getting confused on. I just did. I want to correct myself instead of looking dumb. Right. Okay. Yeah so yeah, watch that one
0: yeah I mean I don't to your point about everyone's getting a documentary I'm not even sure I could name Go-Go songs I mean I know you say B-52s and I'm like <laughs> if you see a painted sign Like, I know that right. right
1: I just think you know what I'm trying to point out is I think it's time they do a Did You America documentary right get a camera crew in here yes you're cool with that yes
0: well and again I would put some decent clothes on unlike Rick fucking Rubin with a oh beetle. I wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> no well that's your you still look more well dressed dress than Rick Rubin, and that's saying something.
1: I literally have a hole in my shirt right now. So I bought this shirt probably four years ago. First day I got it, the dog I had at the time jumped up on me, ripped a hole in the shirt. I still This is probably the shirt I wear most frequently. It has a big old hole right by my belly button. I feel
0: like Rick Rubin buys clothes, throws them at his dog to rip holes in them, and then puts them on to just basically affect the aesthetic. That's not a bad idea. He's like Boris Johnson, the England's Prime Minister, who deliberately makes his hair look bedraggled before he goes out and does a press conference because it's part of the act you know that's what it is Boris Johnson is screwing up all the COVID stuff left right and centre in the UK but he's got this like lovable clown sort of aura around him because of how bedraggled he looks so he's like hey listen I'm doing a really really bad job with COVID possibly the worst job of any world leader but look at my hair you don't expect anyone with hair like this to do something so so good so I'll get away with it Rick Rubin's like "All right, I'm going to work with some of the biggest bands on the planet and I'm going to charge them a fortune for my producing and it's well known that like I just pop my head around the door like once every couple of days, go play me five minutes, yeah that sounds alright, maybe down tune that guitar a bit then I disappear and like he his bedraggled clothing is the, is the musical equivalent of Boris Johnson's hair it basically lets them get away with being lazy.
1: Now, take notes Boris Johnson, also real quick, I just, real minor tangent We were tangent. finishing the podcast like 10 I minutes got, ago I just have to know, why do, are there so many names for England what why do there's England there's Great Britain there's the United Kingdom but there's it's all one place why are there so many different names for one place Boris Johnson you want to be a good leader pick one fucking name
0: right well why don't you ponder on that while you're at the Grateful Dead show for two days I'm not I'm not calling for two days, but I will ponder while there. youamerica.com is where you can go to for uh, the Song of the Week. You can also vote for Song of the Week on my Twitter where I am at Ian Camfield. And uh, in addition to that, you can buy one of our T-shirts at didyouamerica.com How lovely are the T-shirts, oh, Jeremy? so good on your nipples. And if you want to talk to us about anything on this podcast, send us your message via the website didyouamerica.com or do it at Ian Camfield on Twitter or Camfield off the radio on Instagram. Thanks for listening to this one.